the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Or Salem Media Group. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Hey, if you'd like to call today, the number is 216-901-0945. If you're new listening to this program for the first time, uh, congratulations to all two of you. The, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> you don't know. The, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, feel free to call with uh, any questions you have uh, regarding financial planning, investment planning. Uh, investment planning is a big part of financial planning. And uh, financial planning, you know what the, the number one most important item in financial planning is? It's actually living beneath your means, not within your means. You literally have to live beneath your means because, you know, back in the day when I first started in this industry, I'm embarrassed to say it was 30 years ago, actually 31 now. Oh, whoa. That just, that just dawned on me. 31. That was my uh, peewee football jersey number. (laughs) 31 years that's unbelievable uh anyway back then you know they look they taught that the long-term average of the stock market was right around 10 percent you know and bonds returned right around five or six percent well going forward there's now they're saying stocks are probably going to average around six percent bonds are probably going to average around three percent and it's a big difference it's a huge difference actually and uh, so what that means is, you know, before they said live within your means, save 7% of your income. Now they're going to say save 15% of your income because you're going li- to have to live beneath your means to be able to maintain that lifestyle into retirement. So and that's all I have to say about that. Me and, me and Forrest Gump. <laughs> Actually, Forrest is, oh, never mind. <laughs> But so if you have questions and, and financial planning, you know, really in my mind, it's really about planning for financial independence, which a lot of people like to call retirement, you know, and they're going to become financially independent, whether they like it or not <laughs> at some point in time. But uh, if you could plan to get that there a little early, uh, I don't think you should quit working, by the way. That's a bad idea. You quit working. And I'm telling you, your life expectancy just shortened by probably five to 10 years. That's just uh, Bill Bullington's observation on the general public. 
because my average client's 74. That's hard to believe. <laughs> but a lot of them have been with me for a very long time. And, uh, and I'm much older now. So that's kind of how that thing works, you know. Old man, old man time bats a thousand. So we're all getting older. And I can tell you throughout the last 31 years, what I've noticed is that people who stop, who retire and stop working completely have a tendency not to hang around that long. That's just an observation for whatever it's worth. So I would say, you know what I want to, you know what I want to do in retirement? I want to work at Lowe's. <laughs> I want to go into Lowe's. My dad was a uh, remodeling contractor. And you know what? That We used to say you get sawdust in your blood. And uh, that's that's pretty true. I, I would love those HGTV shows and all the, the uh, shows on remodeling. I can't even remember all the names of them now. There's so many of them. There's a remodeler, a, a couple magazines that show all that stuff. And uh, it just it does get inside your blood. But I would love to go to, to Lowe's and be able to work there and bore all the younger people by saying, oh, man, if I'd have had that in my day, <laughs> or if my dad would have had that. <laughs> and he used to tell me stories about his uh, his grandfather who would spend a lot of uh, time every day sharpening his saws. Okay, these were saws that you sharp- cut wood with by hand. And uh, he really hated the, the new fangled electric saws because he said, what are you going to do if the electricity goes out? And he was right. You know what they did? They went home. <laughs> you couldn't do anything without tools. So anyway, he uh, uh, times change. And you're looking at that stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. I really like the changes, by the way. I like the changes that have happened in the stock market. Uh, changes over the past five to six years. The, fav- the, the past five to six years came along at a time when I didn't expect it to because I had expected it in 2004 (laughs) and it was a long time in coming, but it finally came. What do I mean by that? What I mean is you have uh, ways of investing now and they're called exchange traded funds. They're basically mathematical algorithms, mathematical formulas uh, run by computers that buy and sell stocks. Now that's created some challenges uh, it's actually reduced the effectiveness of certain money management techniques, but it's also increased the ability to do others. And uh, that part I really like. I, I really like a lot. I've got a couple of models that, uh, you know, if you want a copy, you have to actually have to call my office. We have to have a conversation. I'm not allowed to offer this out to the general public. So, But you can call me and you can say, hey, you're talking about that semiconductor model. And I'd like to know a little bit more about it, and we can have a 60-second conversation. I can say, oh, yeah, Larry, let me email that, email that to you. So that's what we have to do. I have to have a small conversation about it first, then I can mail it. I'm just not allowed to use it as mass mailing because that's considered advertising, and there are restrictions against that sort of thing. And being the fact that I'd like to stay in business, I think I'm going to follow that rule. <laughs> so uh, all you have to do is give us a call, and we'll talk about it. That's a big deal. There are lots of big deals now. Some of the funds that I've liked for a while have hung around long enough. That's another thing you learn by experience. You'll, you'll like a fund or an idea or a strategy, and you're the only one that likes it, or there aren't enough people that like it, and so they don't invest enough money in it, and they have to shut the fund down because they can't afford the operating costs. 
And that, that was very sad for a long time. So I got to the point where I would wait for a fund to be out for three or four years minimally or get up to $500 million in assets as kind of a minimum. Because when you're only charging a, you know, a fraction of a percent, you've got to have hundreds of millions of dollars to keep that fund open and pay the bills. So it's been very interesting watching all this unfold. Uh, they're on very steady footing now. Every year, though, there, you know, there are hundreds of, of funds that shut their doors because nobody understands what they're doing. And uh, that was really frustrating for a long time. I'd get a fund. I knew what the concept was. I thought, oh, this is a great idea. This is uh, something we should be doing. You get in the fund, and a year and a half later, they're shutting the fund down and sending your money back. That was not, uh, that was not fun. I think that happened about four times. And so I started to wait. And now there are tons of funds that have been around at least four or five years that have at least half a million dollars in assets that have really good ideas. They're very, they're excellent ideas. Not that you shouldn't foray into individual stocks because I think that's they're fun. Uh, I think it should be relegated to a hobby, you know, hobby portion. I've got, I don't know, probably more than I should. It's a, So for me, it's a big hobby. But I have all most of my money in funds, and I've got a, a portfolio, a basket of stocks that that I like. I have there are stocks that I like to watch. Um, that at some point in time I may end up purchasing. There are some that came up on my scans. I, I run the scans. You guys that have been listening for a long time remember about uh, buying breakouts and and what that actually means, what that does. Well, I've been watching just recently, and uh, there are lots of them that are coming up on my screens, what that means is the market is looking much healthier. When you don't have a lot of stocks that are meeting the criteria that come up on, on some of my scans, that's not a healthy market. And right now you've got, wow, this is amazing. There's a, uh, a large number. It's like two out of three stocks. It's, I just, that's the strongest number I've seen. I just, I just looked at that. It's the strongest it's, it's been in a few months. So that's a good sign, you know, and that's a very good sign. I think people are calling for a big drop in the market and the market doesn't look like that. The, uh, it doesn't look like that at all. So anyway, all the funds that we invest in are designed to capture different portions of the market, try to diversify, try to stay away as much as we can from those pockets that get super overpriced. That's not always that easy to do. And by the way, the ones that got super overpriced two and a half years ago stayed super overpriced and got even higher the next two and a half years. <laughs> so for about five years, stuff that was overpriced just kept running. And uh, the same thing that happened in the late 90s. And we've experienced a smaller, it's nowhere near the extent it was in the late 90s, but it, it, it did. And uh, I've got to take a real quick call. Um, by the way, if you'd like to call, the number is 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945, and I'm going right to Philip. Well, good morning, Bill. Good morning. Got a question for you on a big picture idea about a change in consumer sentiment towards consumer staples like Kraft Heinz, like Coca-Cola, right. things that have kind of been bellwethers. One theory I heard was, some of the declines are basically because of the changes of younger generations 
not going towards the packaged foods, not going for the sugar water. What do you think on that as a going forward proposition that the road ahead of them is rougher than it used to be? I think that you have to uh, take a large number of polls, and by the time you gather all the information on the polls that you're going to need, it will have changed. <laughs> the uh, the brand awareness is still uh, a big deal, and you know whether or not the uh, that's going to be the only deal. You know, if if price is the only issue, which is oftentimes what people are uh, talking about. Not always, but if price is the only issue, there's always going to be cheap stuff. I've got these lights I bought off of Amazon, and I have to tell you, they looked like they were fairly high quality. I get them. They weren't even that that much cheaper than the others. I mean, there was very little savings in there. I just thought they looked like a really good pair of lights, you know, lighting for some stuff I'm doing around uh, my marketing programs. I get them out, and those things are unbelievably cheap, and two of them have already broken and I'm just going, wow, you know, the, uh, so I don't know. I think, well, you it, know, Chinese prison labor isn't what it used to be. Right. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And they moved a lot of it to Vietnam. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's tough. I, building a brand itself. I mean, look at Apple, you know, Apple's a brand. They make the same type of technology that everybody else makes. Um, it is hard to stay. That's probably a, a really poor comparison because Apple's a technology stuck, but, um, and I, I don't know. I think by the time people actually figure all that out, it, it'll have changed again. So I, I just try to uh, um, go down. And look. I'd like to look at the numbers of the companies that I'm interested in investing in and, and not worry about what I think somebody might buy uh, in the future because that is that is really hard to predict. I mean, that is incredibly difficult. And that's where everybody gets in trouble. They're always trying to predict things that you can't really predict for. And yeah, if you could, then you could be, you know, an extremely successful investor. But well, have you looked at Kraft Heinz at all? Because their major write down was in goodwill of the value of the brand names, as opposed to actual reduction in revenues. Well, that's because when you pay a whole lot more than yeah, when you pay a whole lot more than book value for an asset, yeah, that's basically what you're buying. You're buying. You're purchasing goodwill. And, uh, yeah, so they took an accelerated and I'm not sure exactly what they did. I, I read some of the headlines. I'm not all interested in it because it's, you know, basically they didn't get a, they didn't get bargain prices on Heinz or Kraft. You know, that group down in South America that teamed up with Warren Buffett to buy Heinz and then they merged Kraft together and thought they were going to cut their costs and, you know, it was going to be a big deal. Um, so they're saying, Hey, this didn't work out like we thought it was, we're not making the gains or the price improvements we thought we were going to make. So let's write this down. Let's take some acceleration and uh, take some of that off a little quicker. But um, that's basically what happened. And they, anytime a business pays more than the uh, actual book value of a business, they, they carry that goodwill on. And I don't know exactly what the rules are for companies of that size to be able to go ahead and say, oh, you know what? Since we paid so much more than the asset value, we're just going to accelerate this and write this off. I have no idea. So, well, I think it's kind of interesting. The same week they cut the dividend and, and, and take that charge, they uh, also there's announcement that their accounting practices are being investigated by the SEC. Well, sure, <laughs> yeah, because like I said, why wouldn't they have taken those write downs earlier? Why wouldn't they come right up front and said, "Hey, okay, this is what we're expecting. This we're going to, you know, it, it's really tough. Whenever you buy a company." And you're paying for it. 
uh, and you're paying a lot more than the, uh, the basically the liquidation value is, it gets really complicated in a hurry. And if you're not doing as well as you thought you did, and if you're, if you're over leveraged, and I haven't looked at the, the balance sheet of that company, I really wasn't that interested in it. Neither one of those companies were super cheap anyway, even before they, they bought them out. And then the prices that they paid for them, I thought, you know, they're not getting a bargain there. Um, and Warren Buffett, I, you know, I understood, you know, it's, he's big into brands. He likes buying brands. That's why he owns Dairy Queen. Uh, that's why he owns the, um, underwear, Fruit of the Loom. You know, he bought them out of bankruptcy because of the brands. And he's a really big believer in, in brand awareness. And, and I get it. Uh, and I, I think probably it's, it's still very important. Maybe not as important as it was before the internet, but I think it's still pretty important. And uh, I just looked at the whole thing, and these guys just have too much money to invest, and they're going out after these deals that are mediocre to begin with. So, yeah, I guess I get a little upset if uh, things didn't start working really quickly, if I didn't get the magic fix, and uh, you didn't start gushing cash. But, you know, I don't know what you can expect. And at those levels, when you've got that kind of money, there's really just not a whole lot of places to put it. I mean, realistically. You can't just create profitable companies to invest in because you have cash. The world doesn't work that way. So you have to take what you got. And uh, those guys are kind of stuck with that. It's either that or they're going to buy a bunch of really small companies and have no way to effectively manage that. So I I would love to have their problem of having billions to invest and not knowing what to do with it. (laughs) That would be great. But uh, anyway, so... Those are my thoughts. I think by the time you could gather all that information, man, it's all going to have changed. And brand awareness is still a big deal. You're getting brand awareness a lot differently than you used to because before the Internet, it was pretty much television, magazines, newspapers, radio, uh, much more traditional. Now you got some kid out in California somewhere putting makeup on. It's a multimillionaire by the time she's 18 years old. You know, She built a brand when she was in high school. And that's, that's amazing. You don't have to have nearly as much money and and getting your arms around all that. That would be incredibly difficult. Anyway, uh, Hey, Phil, I got to take a real quick commercial break. Uh, did you want to hang on or did you want to? Nope. That's it. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. The answer. I'll be back after these messages. All this pain, all this And we're back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420 The Answer every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, if you want to know more about our firm. We offer a free get acquainted meeting. Uh, it can be done in the phone in per- or in person. Uh, and I'm going to go right to the phones now with uh, Victor. Victor, hey, you've been hanging in there patiently. Thank you very much. Yeah, good morning, Bill. How are you? Okay. See, uh, I was reading an article the other day on uh, Market Watch, CBS Market Watch. Yep. And it was uh, uh, Warren Buffett. They were talking to him, and he essentially said, you know, Warren Buffett being probably one of the greatest investors of all time, he said that um, his best hand-picked stock-picking talent has has not achieved the essential goal of beating 
the S&P 500 Recently. over the last 10 years. Right. And that was quite an admission from him, and he said going forward, he doesn't expect that to be the case either. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, same thing that I was kind of alluding to earlier. When you get so big, you know, those guys are actually too big for the stock market. They, uh, uh, it, it's incredibly difficult. There, there are only a little over 3,000 stocks that are big enough for a, an institution to invest in. Warren Buffett and his team have to pick from the biggest of the big stocks. So the companies in the, say, the S&P 500, the number, anything below 250, they are relatively small. If he were to buy those, he would have to buy dozens of them to be able to increase the uh, returns that he's going to get because they're he's just so big and they're so small. Does that make sense? lot of these mutual funds today it is and it's one of the reasons that the s&p's done so well they've got nowhere other place to put the money but that's that's their problem and if you're a big investor that's your problem is there's no other place to put the money and for the past five years i mean it's the s&p's smoked nearly everybody because there's a lot of money they've created so much more money than they have places to put it in the uh uh not just in america but around the world and so if you're a really patient investor and you were to go out and let's say you bought a company, companies that, that excluded the top 500, the S&P 500, essentially, like Russell did. Russell has a mid-cap index that's a uh, 2,500 stocks below the top 500. And if you put uh, some of the money in one that they buy based on uh, valuation, they try to get rid of the overvalued ones and then got another one that they're is more growth oriented. You put those two together and it's beaten the S and P 500 by the over the last five, 10 and, you know, 15 years, the indexes have the funds themselves have only been around for about 10 years. So, but you're not, I mean, you're going into companies there that are really small inside that fund. They're, they're able to do it so far. If now that I mentioned it, if other people start repeating that and money goes into those funds, they're going to be forced out of that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, there's only, there are only so many places around the world to put your money anymore. And once you get really, really big, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's really difficult to outperform a, uh, market cap weighted index. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. I just wanted to, you know, bring that to your attention. And, you know, I was kind of surprised to hear that thing that, you know, Buffett is kind of the, the guru of investing and, you know, here he is making this uh, pretty, you know, hum, humble admission that, you know, he just going forward can't can't compete. Well, yeah, can't compete because of his size, though. There's a big uh, big difference. There, there are a lot of, uh, you know, if you were to stay in, say, a small mid-cap um, international emerging market, by the way, their longer-term returns are better than the S&Ps. And, but over the last five to ten years, nobody's wanted to invest in anything but the S&P. So, and that, that happened in the late 90s, too. And it happened in the late uh, 60s. There other time in 1972, the market peaked, dropped over 50 percent. Next two years, the Nasdaq dropped 70. Does that sound familiar? The uh, that cycle is is something I try to shed some light on uh, a lot because it can convince you that you can't beat it. Well, 
I think you still can. It's just you're not going to beat it every year, and sometimes you'll go for five or six years and still get beat. But eventually, inevitably, Microsoft was a better buy when it was forty million than it is when it's four hundred billion. Would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be in the small cap fund before it ever makes the S and P five hundred. So that's and the differences are probably somewhere around a hundred basis points or so, which is one percent if you give it a, a a super long time period. But the smaller funds can can lag the bigger funds when the la- bigger funds are popular for years. And that's what's uh, that's what's really frustrating about investing, man, because you're doing the right things, but you're not getting paid. And uh, well, you know, the market does, doesn't make much sense anymore. Uh, it it yeah, it never really has. I looked back at some early uh, stuff back in the 30s and the 20s, and holy cow, you want to talk about crazy? It was like the uh, late 90s, you know, throughout that entire time period. Stocks rose and fell on rumors. Rarely did they r- go up and down on the actual. Uh, business itself but unbelievable okay bill thanks very much i appreciate it hey thanks for calling bye-bye and i'm going to jerry you're on the lookout i was going to say look out for the bull (laughs) good morning good morning professor bullington Uh, i hope you're well i'm doing as good as i can be expected i think all right i have uh i have two uh uh questions and i have a stock for you uh, first, we'll start with a stock, ABBV, A-B-B-V. It is at its almost annual low. It's paying a nice, juicy 5% dividend, and I think it's got some, uh, it's, it's still got some uh, gas in the tank. What do you, what do you think? Have you been following this? No. The, no. Uh, nope. Um, ABV, it, I, I used to, hang on a second, I have to pull up, uh, actually, I'll, I'll have to do that when I've got a, commercial break uh because it might okay. it might take a minute to get that pulled up but yeah it's a f- pharmaceutical manufacturer i mean that part it's been around for a long time sure and uh what which uh stock charts do by the way if you'd have if you'd have bought that stock uh abb let's see nope that's not it that's the wrong one yeah, i was gonna say yeah Oh, it's got a market cap of about 118 billion. Revenue is about 32 billion, so it's not cheap. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, revenue growth was seven percent. That's pretty good, especially on a 32 billion dollar. That's two, you know, sure. two, two billion dollars. Uh, looks like they uh, they did something to that cost them money here lately because their profit margin for the last quarter was minus 22 percent. That I, you'd have to look into that. That's that's not all that significant. It's not the best case scenario. But you look at their gross profit margin of seventy five percent. That that's why that thing has such a huge price to sales ratio is because their gross profit margins, seventy five percent. That's that's pretty good. Well, that's really good, actually, one of the higher ones. Um, that's why it's got a high valuation too. The uh, price. Well, compared to its uh, uh, pricing over the last year, it's down near the bottom. Well, see, you're only talking about share price, which is meaningless. Share price means nothing. Well, if you're looking for appreciation or return, no, you have to know what the value is. The share price is meaningless. If they yes, if they split true, that stock, true. yeah, if they split that stock four for one, it'll be twenty dollars a share. But you're going to have four shares. Is that any different? Yeah, you still have eighty bucks. It's the same. 
So you got to go. You got to look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. There's okay. there's there's two parts to every story. The first part is the story oh, itself. Part. Okay. Mm-hmm. The story is what do they do? What do they make? Uh, how successful have they been in the past? The second part of the story is the numbers. And a, a good investment has good numbers mm-hmm. and a good story. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that increases the odds. It's not a guarantee, but it increases the odds of a, of a successful investment. Um, so this one's actually been around for a long time. It's a good company, obviously. the uh, uh, It's very profitable. Uh, normally, I would go look into why they've had that charge against earnings. Uh, but me having done this for so long, you know, the price to sales ratio is close to four. Um, that's the long-term average. Actually, there's is 3.78. So it's, it's slightly below its long-term average. If you wanted to buy something like this and hang on to it or write calls against it, you know, I got no problem with that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, I just wouldn't put a large percentage of my money in there because it's mm-hmm. not a stock that's like super cheap. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. super undervalued. If it were to go down to say 50, that'd be, mm-hmm. that would be awesome. You know, then I would okay. say, you know what, this, this is probably, this is a good one. And, okay. Uh, that's, that's fair. So I, it's not a, you're saying it's not a bad stock. However, there are betters out there. There are better out there. And uh, I, I can accept that. I'd look to be somewhat attractive to me, but that's, that's fine. I suppose it's your style of investing. Um, all righty. Now, the next question I have, which is a, a trading strategy. Uh, Bill, as you know, there's an, you know, a few of us that uh, buy stocks and sell covered calls against them. Right. Now, uh, in this scenario, say, for example, the buyer likes Home Depot. They purchase it at 180 and sell a covered call at, say, $185, okay? Uh, immediately, and it would make it a three-month call, something that or shorter, so it's uh, got a uh, terminate point. Okay, at that point, the stock goes to 80, uh, 85 and then actually keeps going and hits Let's let's say ninety. So it doesn't look good for the holder of the stock that they're going to be able to um, collect a premium and still hold on to the stock. You might say, right? Right. Okay. What would take or keep the investor from going out and looking at this, saying, "Well, I have some loose cash on the sideline. I'm going to sell a put at say a hundred and eighty dollars." Uh, say that follows it maybe by. Uh, two or three uh, weeks. <laughs> now, wait, wait. the minute the minute I do that, Jerry, not you. The minute I do that, okay, mm-hmm. the CEO is going to leave the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just sold a put, right? Because mm-hmm. because I didn't want the stock called. I, I wanted to get a little bit more juice out of it because I have a call that and, and it looks like the stock's going to be called away. Precisely. So, so precisely. If if I if Bill Bullington did that, no doubt the CEO takes off, probably goes with uh, Amazon's former ex-wife or whatever. That they leave the country together, and they take a lot of Home Depot's money with them. The stock craters. Of course, I understand. Okay. That. Goes down to a hundred bucks. So now I the the call premium. I get to keep the call premium, but I have the stock, and since I sold the put, I had to hang on to the the stock, mm-hmm. and, and I would lose. Bill Bullington would probably end up losing five times the amount of money he expected to make. That, that's that's true. It's very true. There are risks involved in that, but and those it, risks are huge. 
uh, if you do it with a solid blue chip, it's not no. nearly as great no. as you would. No. Huh? No. Okay. Well, I'm just, as I said, just asking. I asked your opinion, so that's. And all I have to do, I'm telling you, the minute I do it, it's 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 going bad. <laughs> okay, I can I can accept that. It's uh, the conservative standpoint. Certainly, um, I w- I would not disagree. Um, one uh, other question I have here. Actually, I have two. Could you explain? Selling against the box. You don't hear that term very often anymore, but it... Uh... Man, I haven't heard that for so long. I forgot what it is. I, 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 it's familiar. Mm-hmm. I'd, have to, I'd have to go back, because I did pass the options principles exam, So, uh, which, incidentally, only one out of a thousand people in my industry ever bothers to take that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the uh, I forgot what it was, so I'd have to uh, go look it up. Okay, it has something to do with if you have appreciation in the stock that you would sell it short uh, to keep that appreciation should it go down. It's, and perhaps it's because options are available. It's been uh, um, somewhat grandfathered out. Maybe that's that's why. I just, as I say, I remember the term, and I didn't understand it completely myself, but I think that may have something to do with it. Now that options are a lot more widespread, that that would occur. Uh, okay, last um, question I have is there's something called the bucket shops. Would you elucidate on those? Um, the bucket shops disappeared a long time ago, um, uh-huh. actually with the creation of the uh, SEC. Well, not not the SEC. The uh, there were several different phrases. There's a lot about them written in the um, uh, reminiscence of a stock operator, uh, Jesse Livermore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they called him something else in the book. He had a pseudonym because he was still trading at that point in time. But a bucket shop was a place that would take orders, and uh, they basically would put them in a bucket. They would never actually even submit the orders to the, the New York or the American Stock Exchanges because they knew people were going to get wiped out on them. Back in those days, you're allowed to buy stock with only two percent down. Oh, you're kidding! Nope. Good so Lord. here's what 2%? they would two percent. Yep. So oh, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So these guys would come in there. You know, they buy. They, speculative. They would say, "Okay, GE or RCA. That'd be a really good RCA is selling for three hundred bucks a share. Yeah. And we want to buy one share of RCA, and we only need to put up six bucks." So they would show you, uh, okay, it's just sold for you know three hundred dollars. You're going to put up six bucks. You can buy that three hundred dollars stock. Jesus. Oh, hey, wait a minute! It just traded at two hundred ninety three dollars and fifty cents. Got a margin call. Yeah. Not only do you did you lose your six bucks, you owe us about a buck fifty on top yeah. of that, <laughs> and yeah. you you got to pay up because you're standing there right in the bucket shop. Looking at the quote, boys, write the quotes on the chalkboard. Good Lord, that's a, that's astounding. I, do, <laughs> yeah. I have never heard. I, I knew that that was one of the reasons why the market took such a, yeah. a big hit. Hey, hey Jerry, got Can you hang on for a second? I got to yeah, take a look. Sure, I'd like to. Okay. Yep. You listen to Bill Bullington right down here, right here on fourteen twenty. The answer. <laughs> I'll be right back. Have you heard of the one who can calm the raging sea? Man, we're back. 
You listen to Bill Bullington I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420 The Answer. You can also find this on my uh, website, bullingtoncapital.com, or go to the Fish's podcast, 955thefish.com. The show is carried there as a podcast. Um, and I'm going to go right back to the phones. And Jerry, you still there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, it was just- well, I, I, w- I was really left chuckling when you said that the, uh, mar- not the margin requirements, that the uh, capital requirements are 2% prior to the uh, start of the SEC or, you know. Oh, yeah. And, you know, those guys uh, used to stand around. They used to stand around in the bucket shop while the quote boys were changing the quotes on the chalkboard. Sure. And, and they were, it was like, it was like going to the horse races, you know, and they would go in there and bet. But when you got, when you got a 2% margin requirement and the market drops four or 5%, you now owe two to three sure. times more than you bet. <laughs> well, that obviously fueled the Great Depression, that type of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. They were, I think the regular margin requirements were 10%, but if you were uh, uh, what today would have been called a day trader, the uh, yep. your margin requirements were a lot lower. Wow. Uh, now, what was the 2%? That was uh, trading on the big board, or was that at the bucket shops? Well, you could trade just about anything there because – Essentially, what these a lot of these bucket shots would do. So let's say you bought uh, a stock at a hundred dollars a share. You only put two bucks for it. The, mm-hmm. a, a quote would come up saying that that last traded at ninety seven. Oops, you're out, and you owe us another dollar. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So a lot of the share prices, and they didn't even know. I mean, they're they're calling New York City. If it was if it was traded on the New York Stock Exchange, yes, they would get the uh, quotes directly from the New York Stock Exchange from a ticker tape, and wow. they would write that up on the board. By the way, the ticker tape was in, invented way before the '30s and way before the Depression. So sure. uh, early, yeah, I know, invented yeah. it too. Yeah, so they used that a lot to get the uh, quotes, and those would be the last quotes on the uh, stocks that you know were mo- more actively traded, and uh, it was it was just nuts. But you get companies, I think RCA, I was watching this show one time. I can't remember what it was on. But anyway, RCA stock just went crazy through the 1920s because who in the heck wouldn't want to get a radio to listen to a live person's voice, you know, coming through this magic box. Right, uh, right. (laughs) And so this stock goes up. It was in the uh, uh, three or $400 a share, something like that. And when it crashed... It took it until the late 1960s to recover. <laughs> Eventually, and most of the companies didn't recover. That was one of the lucky ones, the company that managed to stay in business because they got into other businesses uh, and produced a whole bunch of equipment for the radio, uh, television, and also the uh, phonographs and that kind of stuff. So they struggled. They survived, and it only took them you know, 50 years to get <laughs> for people to break yeah. even. Lifetime, yeah. lifetime. That's, yep. that's amazing. Well, it's uh, the old adage that there are, are a number of reasons that the economy ever recovered. Some attributed to FDR, of course, and his uh, New Deal. Others say it, t- it took the Second World War. Do you yeah, it was, it was both. Opinion? They they all both. they all contributed. That's what I was just going to say. That that uh, probably FDR was not nearly as grand as some of the uh, intellectuals were stating, but uh, he certainly got things going the right 
way. I, from what they say, in his day, he was um, making the world safe for capitalism again or reinventing capitalism so it could survive. You know, every president reminds me of a quarterback on an NFL team. They're only as good as the offensive line. Yeah, very, very true. <laughs> and uh, ask a former Cleveland Browns quarterback up until recently. You know the uh, and the receivers have got to be good too. So the quarterbacks get way too much credit, and they take way too much blame. Yeah, I boy, that's very true. I agree with that statement. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. And there's a you know like Keynesian economics got really strong back then because you know he was saying that if governments spend money and then of course world war ii just happens to come out actually i think he was writing uh a part of that during the uh, beginning of the wars and mm-hmm. uh um so government steps in to spend in uh uh cut taxes when economy is doing poorly when the economy starts to do well then the government can make some of the money back that it spent so you have to you have to raise taxes and then you reduce government spending and it's it's kind of a balancing act and then Friedman came along later and uh, a lot of people back when I was in college studying economics they they uh, had these guys as diametrically opposed to one another Friedman was saying oh it's the money supply the money supply well no no actually that just told you how to finance what Keynes said you should be doing they actually mm-hmm. they're actually symbiotic they work together and and we've got it down now it works pretty good are you going to avoid problems? Nope, because some problems are just unavoidable. You don't know you, you won't even know you have a problem until it's too late, and then you have to take corrective action. And it's the speed and and how much effort you put into that corrective action that'll determine how quickly you recover. Mm-hmm. This this last recovery, I mean this this recession could have been way worse. Uh, it was made the recovery was one of the slowest in history because there was a lot of reasons for that, but. They did take a lot of really bold steps that stopped it in its tracks. It could have been, it could have been another, you know, 1930s type scenario again if we hadn't have taken the actions that we did and had the experience through all the other recessions that we've learned from over the, the decades. Now, who would you attribute that to? The um, chairman, the Fed. Yeah. I, I was going to say, rather than a political situation, right. but. Yep. Uh, Bernanke certainly did, did a, a world of good uh, when we were really facing some serious troubles. Oh, I, I think he did his thesis, his PhD thesis on um, the depression. So he mm-hmm. he studied. He knew quite well. He was the right guy at the right time. We lucked out, quite frankly. We just yeah, got. Yeah, I, I would agree with that yeah. entirely. Do you do you feel that any of the politicians in Washington are actually taking this uh, new Green Deal or whatever? Uh, AOC calls it. Do you think they're taking it seriously? Um, I think some are. You know, I think. Are you really? In, in America, I think you can make a, a statement as as plain or as outlandish as you want, and you'll find people that will agree with both of them. <laughs> it just it just seems that any sane person would say it's it's impossible to rebuild the entire infrastructure, the all the buildings in the country, and all the all the, I mean, it's just. I don't even see how the economists can even put a price tag on it. It's so ludicrous, in my opinion. And, and by the time they gathered all that information, it will have changed. <laughs> of course, but it would be 
you know, give or take, fifty percent of that would be uh, uh, significant. It's just so monumental. It make it dwarfs the Marshall Plan in in uh, world post World War Two. Yeah. Oh yeah. It absolutely dwarfs it. Yep. And uh, uh, we were doing the Marshall Plan at the same time they started building the national highway system. Yes. Yes. It's true. So okay, I just I was curious. I just find it so thoroughly outlandish that it's it's you know beyond comprehension but well you know uh, and i and i wonder if uh the techniques now i i don't know maybe maybe trump has started a trend here because it was so successful for him um you ask for things you know you absolutely positively are not going to (laughs) get because you might get more than you planned on getting to begin with anyway and that that's a uh, negotiation technique. And, uh, you know, Trump's been really good at it. I mean, he's, he's actually done a lot of stuff that way. So maybe they're just trying to take a page from his playbook. All righty. I'll let you get going, William. Have a great week. <laughs> thanks. And uh, as I say, happy trading. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Have you heard anything here? We kind of talked a lot about uh, things not all that uh, – um, uh, didn't have a lot to do with retirement planning or not running out of money during retirement because I did have a couple of topics there I wanted to talk about, but I'll get to it next week. And you can always call. And I'm kind of fascinated by that too. Uh, you know, people talk a lot about this. It's magic numbers. Well, you know, what do I take out of my money? How much money do I need? And uh, the bottom line is it, a, lot more, a lot of it's pretty common sense. Um, but, uh, and everybody's, everybody's situation is just a little bit different. I've never met two people who had the identical financial situation. And if I did, I've never met two people that were very, fairly close to each other financially who had the same opinions. So a lot of this, uh, a lot of your financial plan, a big part of it are your opinions. Um, maybe you've got really nice kids and you want to leave a legacy for them. So you want to be uh, more careful with how you're spending in retirement. Um, maybe not so much, or maybe you don't have any kids. You don't have any kids at all, so you don't really, that's not a big concern. Um, you've got different risk tolerances. And, uh, I am going to leave, though. We've got a couple minutes left with this. So I'm, I'm trying to put this little video together on how to uh, determine how much, what, what kind of risk taker you are. I've seen tons of questionnaires. I see them all the time. Nobody likes those things, by the way, me included. I don't think they do a really good job of explaining the kind of risk that you're about to take after you answer those questions. And I think a lot of people just get, quite frankly, they're just confused. So here's, here's a thought. Stock market was down. The S&P was down. The average stocks are down 50% a year, by the way. Or their range is 50%, not down 50%. But they range is 50% a year. So S&P was down 50%. In March of 2000 through March of 2003, and then from November of 2007 to March of 2009, it was down 50% again. So you got to figure, if it can happen twice in 10 years, it may happen again. And now that I hear the music, I'm actually going to have to finish that thought next week. Sorry about that. You've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'll see you next weekend. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. 
Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 